right, welcome to the TPM podcast. If you're just jumping in on our feed of episodes, that stands for Theology of Plain Men. We're six or seven guys that get together and talk about why theology matters, why things of the Bible matter to daily life, even though we're not pastors, we're not theologians. So I'm with Zach and Matt this morning, and uh, yeah, sound off. I brought up the topic of masculinity uh, as something for us to discuss and to question what the Bible has to say about it, um, as opposed to what our culture has to say about it. I recently read um, John Eldridge's very popular book, uh, Wild at Heart, that's what it's called, and also kind of a controversial book for some of the generalizations he makes about masculinity and manhood, and um, and, and there's a lot there, and this isn't going to be a book club episode about that book, but it that is why it's kind of on my heart and on my mind right now, is what what are the deep aspects about being a man that God has built into this image and this part of life and how do we carry out our lives and how do we understand that in such a way that is healthy and um, productive and reflective of what God has created. Um, so, and, and to give a little more context, this is, this is Matt, everyone. Uh, good morning. Uh, as we were spitballing this morning about what, what we wanted to talk about, we, we realized that there's a lot of misunderstanding in culture about manhood and what it means. And a lot of times when we talk about masculinity, it's talked about in terms of toxic masculinity and, and what does that actually mean? So, uh, Andre, could you just hit on a few points of what the book is going toward in terms of what it means to be a man and how that maybe differs from what culture thinks of manhood? Yeah. So a big point. So I will say that, you know, not everybody likes this book. I, in the past month or so that I've been reading it, I have mentioned it to some people and they, you know, roll their eyes and make a huff. And, and I'm, and I know not to be surprised to hear that because, a lot of people are telling me, like, yep, read the introduction, put it down. <laughs> because they just can't stomach can't stomach the generalization that John makes about, you know, men. Like, he says, so, not in these words, but something like, all men really just want to go up into the mountains and fish for three weeks and eat mushrooms and, you know, little squirrels that they catch. <laughs> and, and he references Braveheart more times than is probably palatable to most Guys who are not themselves Scottish warriors, you know, getting, yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> Luckily, so, the three of us are. So yeah. We don't yeah, have to worry about that. Fortunately for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so but, and I do want to be clear that, that that is not what he intends to convey. He says many times that I'm not advocating for a macho man spirituality. Um, and so I think that the book needs to be read with some understanding of nuance. And I think that. Um, maybe that is messed by some of his critics. But what he, what his big argument is, and, and it's kind of the stem of his title, Wild at Heart, is that he argues that, that the man is, is, has this wild part of his nature that does not get um, exercised in today's world. That, the, that there, we have like a hunger for adventure that, is not, um, that there's not room for in this pretty soft... For a lot of people that are, you know, just corporate nine to fivers, that you know, we're not exposed to that sort of roughness, those opportunities for adventure. We come home every day, do the same thing. I think he he speaks a lot to the midlife crisis man, and 
and he, he connects a lot of that to to scripture and to images of men in the Bible, and um, and and that's where I think that he has a lot of good points that I think are missed when people put the book down after the first chapter. Is you know we we live in a world I live in a world where I don't have to take risks. I can choose comfort over uncertainty, and that causes me to let go of part of of more you know, maybe one of the more primal parts of being a man. And I think that something is lost there, and I can feel that. And that was maybe the most convicting thing for me reading this book. It wasn't that, oh, I don't go fly fishing, you know, and it wasn't, <laughs> and like that is an adventurous thing, like getting out somewhere where you can right. go fly fishing. Sure, that's an adventurous thing, and we'll get to the point that it's not about what you do, it's about like what's at the core of it. But, um, but it was convicting that, yeah, I definitely choose safe over risky every, every single time. That's just, I'm in that habit. And if that is part of, yeah, if this like lack of adventure is part of maybe this culture of of where manhood is slipping, um, maybe that's something to be thinking about. I know I think that's a really good point because when I I talk to people about uh, you know the idea of the midlife crisis, it often is is the fact that they feel like they've missed out on something uh, that they they're now forty five fifty years old, they've gone to the top or or near the top of their career field. Um, and, and they've done everything they could hope to with that, but yet they've never had an adventure in their life or not since maybe their early twenties, right? They, they went, they, they did their job. They went home to their families and they, they have this sense of, uh, what, what did I miss out on? I got to do they, something crazy now, right? They did what they were supposed to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of that's driven, well, it's two part. It's driven from something internal and something primal like you're talking about. But I think we have to be careful when we're doing that to associate where is our understanding of what we're missing out on coming from. Like, is it something that that's driven based on our nature, based on who God created us to be? Or is it because we feel that society has projected this image of masculinity, of manhood, that I need to go and take, uh, you know, a two-month hiatus to go fly fishing in the Smokies? Yeah, I think you make a good point when you start to talk about what is it that is making you feel like you're missing out? Because um, that's a target that, if you look at history, that's a moving target immensely. Um, if you talked to people of our parents' generation on uh, the idea of like what would they be missing out on at their midlife crisis, they probably would have been said they were pressured that they wouldn't have a family at that point or something. And now it's it's completely flipped. It's you you would have missed out on all the things you could have done without a family. Um, so when we and when we look at what is it that makes you a man or who's telling you what a man is, um, I even think the prototypical man over the last 20, 30 years, um, as far as society and Hollywood and our media and films, kind of the things that they tell us that the prototypical man is has changed immensely, even in our lifetimes. Um, so. I even think just taking a quick look at history, if you're trying to determine what makes a man, I'm getting Michael Francis in here with my hands. Uh, if you're trying to de- determine what makes a man a man, it, it isn't hard to see that there are some really gross inconsistencies when you look to our, our secular sources, if you, if you look across history. So then, if culture is not to be trusted for defining what a man is, Zach. Trust nobody. Trust no <laughs> Um, what is like? What would you say is our true source of manhood? I'm gonna or, kick it over to Matt, and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna jump into something here, and then 
uh, we'll, we'll talk some more about it. But Matt, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, we talk about this constantly every episode on, on this uh, TPM podcast because we, we do want to make sure that we are defining uh, our, our motivation for things correctly. Because if we can't trust culture and society to tell us what it means to be a man, which is one of the most you know, basic pivotal questions that men have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be who we're supposed to be? Um, where, where do we look? And so we know that the truth uh, and, and the most foundational truth that can be given to us does come through the word of God. Uh, and so to jump into that, 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, a letter written by Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Uh, and so this, I, I think we need to look to the word of God for actually defining what it means to be a man. And here he's saying it means to be faithful, it means to be loving, and it means to be consistent. So these these are a lot more foundational ideas than we're told in, in society of it means to, to jump into the, the mountains and go fishing and go hunting. And I think where it feels like we've gone wrong is, you know, things that interest us and I guess when when you look at the phrase like toxic masculinity or whatever, oftentimes it's talking about the the middle aged guy who sits on his recliner, drinks a six pack of Bud Lights, and watches football on Sundays. Um, that that's kind of the face that's painted on this idea of like masculinity, if you will. Um, and I think where, or even if you look at the the mountain man idea, like the stereotype of what makes you a man. Oh, you love hunting and fishing and camping and not changing your underwear for a week it what it feels like has happened is we've taken um kind of an application of the personalities of men um of like hey these are things that that interest me like i i i like fishing uh i hunt um i like camping i like doing these manly things i love football sue me right (laughs) but um those those are kind of just applications and characteristics of that kind of just flow out of my personality, what I'm interested in, and things like that. Um, what it feels like we've done when we've misconstrued the idea of what is it to be a man, we've taken the applications of our personalities and our interests, and we've actually said those are the things that are the foundation of manhood. When in reality, our foundation of manhood comes from God it comes from be faithful, be loving, be consistent. Um, and those things are just byproducts of our personality. And those aren't the only things that can be byproducts of our personality. If you've listened to Andre and I before on this podcast, we're big art guys. Um, go listen to the AJR podcast if you haven't hit that one up yet. Um, but that's something that would oftentimes not fit into the prototypical mold of masculinity. Um, when in reality it, it isn't any different than any of the other applications of our personalities and our interests. Um, and that's where I think we've gone wrong is we've, we've taken the applications and made them the foundations. And I think we just need to go back to the foundation. Right. It's all about, you know, the way that I see this is looking at the attributes of God that God has placed into men and then like going in that direction. It's like, Culture is trying to go backwards. It's trying to go upstream and start with the things that we're doing and the applications that Zach talks about and then turn those into manhood. Whereas the way that we're describing it and understanding it is there are those attributes of God reflected in those in Zach's personality, my personality, everyone's personality, and in those 
applications, those activities, football, like sports, competitive battle. Those are things that come out of God's character and that are part of his design for masculinity. And that's why those things, I think, tend to be masculine things. It's not mutually exclusive. You don't need to have those, you know, you don't need to be into football to be a man. But when you are, it is not, you are a man not because you're into football, but because you have those attributes of God. And so you look to him as the source of those things and not to your interests and your activities as those as the source of those attributes. Yeah, and, and it's also important to consider why, why does this matter, right? Why does it matter to care where you're defining your, your idea of manhood from? One, because we're constantly hearing about in society the idea of toxic masculinity that we hit on. Um, and, and it's something that we do have to be careful about, that we're not um, doing things to hurt other people in our strive to be manly. But also, um, I, I think it's fair to note, too, this doesn't only apply to men. Women, we want you to know what a man should look like. And because for those of you who are looking to marry someday, we don't want you to marry uh, a boy in a grown man's body or someone who just, uh, like Zach said, goes out hunting, fishing, watching footballs on Saturday, football on Saturday and Sundays, but is completely incompetent to care for you and provide for you and protect you. And to be a father and a husband, because a lot of these things are a lot more basic than what we what we subscribe or ascribe manhood to be. Um, it's and I think a lot of the stories through the Bible of what does it mean to be a man really show the the basic things a lot more than the cultural outworkings of them. Exactly. So, like something that comes to mind for me is the character of Boaz in the Book of Ruth. He is this just unbelievable image of Christ likeness of of a provider and a protector. Ruth is this basically an immigrant that is, um, she's been widowed and she is basically homeless and doesn't have any source of provision of food or anything in her life. And so she's kind of gleaning from a, a field and Boaz, it happens to be Boaz's field and he sees her and says, no, she like, it says to his workers, let her be here. Let her take from the field and be sustained and provided for and, and don't lay a hand on her. And just these things that he does, you know, and then I, I highly recommend you to read the book of Ruth and to see the the just really clear image of Christ-likeness in both Ruth and Boaz. Um, and so the story goes on. But ultimately, seeing this type of a man who is providing and is strong and is um, protecting of this woman is such a helpful illustration of what the Bible would, or what, you know, what God through the Bible would describe a man to be. Yeah, and I, I love that example. Another one to, to throw out is, um, it's Job 29, and I've heard this called before the Proverbs 31 for manhood. And uh, if it's not clear, Proverbs 31 is kind of the archetypal chapter in the Bible for what it means to be a godly woman. So if you, you transpose that into manhood, uh, this is Job talking about uh, what his life was like before God allowed all of these terrible sufferings to fall upon him and to uh, test him and his faith. And so he says, uh, when I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside and the old men rose to their feet. 
The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands, and the voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me, and I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing, and justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. And so if we use that for what man should be, I think it's going to be really different than what we see it now. It's a lot more important to to view man in terms of how God views them as a protector and a provider and someone who is upholding justice because that's going to be way more important to the flourishing of our society than it's ever going to be to make sure that we're out hunting and uh and fishing and camping yeah um and i I like the idea of um we're all we're all men here we happen to all be dudes uh who do this podcast um but to the women who do listen uh uh, you're not alone i know there are at least a few (laughs) um but I, I really want to to speak to you because um, there aren't many things that break my heart more than boys in a men's body. Um, it, it hurts to see, and it hurts to see women fall for it and, and think it's oh, but he's he's so funny and he makes me laugh and and all these things. I'm sorry, but that that doesn't make him a good husband, and that's not going to necessarily make him a good father. Um, Look for the godly things uh, of what makes a man a man. Um, you know, I, I urge you to to not look to boyish traits that that seem like they're like they make you happy in the moment, um, but really challenge your view to the women out there. Really challenge your view um, and the standard that you are holding men to, um, and and men, you know you know, sharpen one another, you know, as, as iron sharpens iron, um, you know, hold each other accountable. Um, but to the women out there as well, um, it is my prayer that you hold your standard of men higher than, you know, face value things. And, and just as a note to tag onto that, since we've already turned this into a book club, um, if uh, a helpful (laughs) book I've read to this, that, that one of my, uh, mentors gave me when I was considering proposing to my now wife, um, it was, it's it's a book by Vodi Bauckham. It's called What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. And it's the idea of, um, from the father's perspective, father of the uh, perspective bride, is what what to look for in a man who would you would accept to, to give your daughter away to. And it really challenges the idea of um, masculinity and manhood and, and preparation for being in a role where that needs to be applied to the nth degree. So helpful resource. Yeah. Those are really good applications. I think that at the end of the day, what we should do is, seri- as men, we should seriously consider where is it that we're getting our definition of manhood from? Is it from God or is it from the things of the world, the things that we're doing? Um, and, and as we said, it's not about what those are or aren't, but it's a matter of where the attributes of God are coming into them and, and if we're seeing our um, identity folded into that. So... Thank you for listening. We hope that 
our verbal processing was edifying to you um, and that you have a blessed day and week. Thank you.